we're going to be looking at chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. You can find it on, in your pew Bibles on page 1524. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before, before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Thus ends our reading of God's comforting word. May all who hear it listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier this week, I read an opinion piece in the New York Times with the following title. Feeling hopeless? Question mark. Embrace it. And in this article, the, the author, Eric Utney, he, he talked about how when he was young and involved in the, the hippie movement, he was full of hope, thinking that the, that the world was going to change and that a man-made utopia would eventually emerge. But as the years passed by, his hope faded and he became cynical about the future. And with 2020, his hope died. His world had grown so dim that he, he couldn't see any light. And the advice that he, he gave in this article was, was to embrace the hopelessness, to stare death in the face and, and welcome it. For once you, you had, have accepted defeat, then you could use your, your hopelessness to, to hone your senses so that you might be more attentive to the hurt that is all around you. And then you might be able to help your neighbor in these last days on our dying planet. For Eric, his world is, is bleak and miserable. For, for as time went on, his dream of creating this, this man-made utopia had been shown for what it truly was, a myth, a lie. But instead of changing his worldview, and looking to the hope that, that comes from God alone, he has admitted defeat and embraced hopelessness. For him, there will be no victory. Today, we have come to another significant passage in Matthew's gospel, one where we will not only discover the true hope that we have in Christ, but also his victory. 
For it is here that he, he reveals his unveiled glory to three of his disciples. And he does so for a particular purpose. But before we come to that purpose, let's, let's remind ourselves of the framework that this story took place in. If you recall, over the, over the past two weeks, we have seen some major events unfold in both Peter's confession and in Jesus divulging to his disciples his true purpose as the Messiah. It was Peter who, who spoke up proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if you remember, Jesus blessed him, calling him the rock and handing him the keys to the kingdom. Both he and these other disciples, they were to take that confession and share it to the whole world, for that would be how Christ would build his church. But not quite yet. Before they could take up that mantle, there, there would be more for them to learn, more for them to witness, as Christ had not yet accomplished his mission. And then it was just last week that we saw Jesus conveying that mission to these men. And what was it that, that, that Christ must do? He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Once again, we see Peter as the one who speaks up. He, he takes Jesus aside and, in order to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Rebuking Jesus. See, Peter, he, he didn't think it, that Christ's plan made any sense. But, but in his attempt to do so, what, what ends up happening is that Peter was the one who was rebuked by Jesus. For Christ called him Satan and a stumbling block. For he did not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And Jesus used this moment in order to teach his disciples as he brought them back together. And he shared with them how they too must pick up their crosses and follow him. They must be willing to give up their own lives for the kingdom. For that is ultimately where true faith in Jesus will lead. Now this is a hard teaching. And it's not one that these disciples were expecting. I mean, this, this plan was for their Lord to go to Jerusalem in order to die. And in a similar manner, we need to take up our crosses and follow him. I have to imagine that for these men, their, their world suddenly grew very, very dim. I mean, what hope is there in that? Just a fool's hope that Jesus would rise from the dead. Well, knowing their hearts and how troubled they must have been, Jesus then, then brought them some of comforting words, words of encouragement. For he made them a promise that in the end they would see victory. Look, look at the last verses of chapter 16. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man 
coming in his kingdom. As dark and as grim as their world may have seemed, there was great victory in store for them if they would just trust in their master. For some of them would see this kingdom and the glory of Jesus in their lifetime. Which leads us to our passage for today, where, where three of these disciples would get their first glimpse of that glory. Look at uh, Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. It had been six days since Jesus had revealed his mission to these men. And, and most likely, they, they had been traveling from Caesarea Philippi, where they had been, back to Galilee. Now, where exactly they were, we are unsure, but, but we know that they had come to a high mountain. And, and we see there that, that there were three men who, who, whom Jesus led up this mountain, Peter, James, and John. We're going to see these names again. But why these three? We can only speculate. I mean, perhaps they were the three that Jesus trusted the most. Or it could be just the opposite. Maybe, maybe they were the three that, that needed the most convincing. But in all likelihood, Jesus chose these men because he knew that, that one day, each one of them would take on a prominent role in building his church. And, and so he took them up this mountain in order, in order that they might become eyewitnesses to his glory. And what were they so privileged to see? Christ transfigured. Now this word transfigured is, is metamorpho in the Greek. It, it means to change in form or appearance. It's where we get our English word metamorphosis. And so what we see going on here is, is that Jesus' appearance somehow changed. Changed how? Well, his face shone like the sun and his clothing became as white as the light. In other words, the, the human veil had been, had been lifted and Christ's divine nature was shining through. Now, up to this point, Jesus had, had shown to these men some amazing things. He had healed the sick. He had cast out demons. He calmed the storm and walked upon the water. He multiplied the bread and the fish. But all of those things, they were only the effects of his divinity. They were like ripples in the water. But this... This was Christ's exalted glory made known. In the Old Testament, God would often reveal himself in a radiant light that, that would emanate. Today, we, we have termed this his Shekinah glory. And, and, we, and, we do, and, and he would do this, God would do this whenever he made himself present among his people. 
I mean, think of the, the pillar of fire that, that led the Israelites in the wilderness. This is what we see going on with Jesus. There, there was a brightness coming from within Christ that was just bursting forth. And for these three men, Peter, James, and John, what they were witnessing was their faith becoming sight. Before, they had seen the effects of Christ's deity, but now they were witnesses to his unveiled glory. Brothers, sisters, this is our future. When our faith becomes sight, when we stand in the presence of our Lord, the victory that you long for, it will become manifest before your very eyes. But not only did these men see the glory of Jesus, but in this divine moment, they were joined by two others, two men whom they were not expecting, Moses and Elijah. Look at verse 3. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Now why in the world were they there? Again, we're given little details, but... But suffice it to say, each of these men represented times in Israel's past when, when God had manifested himself in, in evident ways. With Moses, there, there was the burning bush and the plagues upon Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, and, and that Shekinah glory that, 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 was, that came down on Mount Sinai where the voice of God thundered to the people. It was there that the, the perfect law, the, the Ten Commandments, were given to Israel. And so when Moses is, is represented the books of the law, in which, which the tabernacle and the priestly system were established. But with Elijah, he saw the voice of God's judgment upon an idolatrous people. For God spoke through this man and sent a lengthy drought to the nation of Israel. The land was cursed because of the sin of the people. And it was near the end of this drought that, that Elijah had, had put forth the challenge to the prophets of Baal. They would make two sacrifices, one to their God and one to Yahweh. And whoever's God could produce the fire, well, that was the true God. Suffice it to say, Yahweh was victorious. For, for the fire fell from heaven, demonstrating that he alone is God. And subsequently, the prophets of Baal were put to death. And so what we see in Elijah is, is that prophetic voice warning of judgment for those who refuse to repent. He is the representation of the prophetic books in the Old Testament. And so in many ways, the reason that Moses and Elijah appeared before Jesus is because in them, both the law and the prophets were bearing witness to Christ. And yet, as great as these men were, they were just shadows of the one who was to come. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You 
must listen to him. This one whom Moses foretold was now before them arrayed in his full glory. And both Moses and Elijah were having a conversation with the very one that they had prophesied about. I mean, how, how, how thrilled they must have been to see the fruition of God's promises. Remember, it, it was Moses who was not allowed entrance into the promised land. Instead, he, he died at its border. And it was Elijah who suffered under the rule of a wicked king where the worship of Baal was predominant in the land. But now here, Moses had finally reached that land that he was promised. And Elijah was now speaking to the king, a king who was worthy of that title, the king of kings, the righteous one, Jesus Christ. Though their mortal lives had passed, they were now witnessing the glory of the Lord in this newfound life that had been given to them. And they were privileged enough to give testimony to this one who is the fulfillment of both the law and the prophets. They were speaking to Jesus Christ. Dear friends, what is it that you are putting your hope in? Are you looking for fulfillment in the here and now? Or are you looking forward to something greater and more glorious? The call of the Christian is to have our eyes focused on what is beyond our circumstances. To see into the, into the promises of God, though they may be distant and far away. That no matter what ills you may face, in Christ, your ultimate end is victory. That's our calling. Of course, it was Peter once again who speaks. He was living in the moment. And can you blame him? I mean, here before him was Jesus revealing his divine nature. And and there were also two of the greats, Moses and Elijah. And so in his joy, he he speaks up. Look at verse 4. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what does Peter mean when he talks about putting up shelters? And what is this all about? The the Greek word that is used here is skenos, and it, it describes a mobile dwelling place or a or a tent. This is not a house that is permanently fixed. For that, that word would have been oikos in the Greek. Rather, skenos is a, is a, is a short-term shelter from the, from the elements. When, when the Israelites were coming out of Egypt, it was God who had commanded them to build a tabernacle or a large tent, which would be his dwelling place. And it was there that the Shekinah glory of God Almighty resided as he led his people. And now we see here, we we see Peter suggesting to construct three tents, three shelters, three tabernacles, if you will. One for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. 
Now, before we criticize Peter, we, we must put ourselves in his sandals. I mean, uh, unlike us who know the rest of the story, he is, he's still trying to piece all these things together. And to some extent, he gets it right. For he understands that something remarkable has happened here. That the, that the glory of God is no longer in the temple. And so he, he thinks to himself, let's, let's set up shop right here. It can be on this mountain where we, we will establish the kingdom. We'll, we'll build these three shelters and the whole world can, can, can run to us. Moses can be our priest. Elijah can be our prophet. And you, Lord, you can be our king. It had only been six days, but Peter had already forgotten about Christ's mission. For once again, he had in mind the things of men and not the things of God. For, for the kingdom does not manifest itself through power and might, but it comes about through the denial of self and the way of the cross. And before Peter could finish his thought, he would be dramatically interrupted. Look at verse 5. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. It was now the glory of the Father Almighty that was shining forth in this bright cloud. Just as he had come down on Mount Sinai in order to speak to his people, he had now descended on this mountain in order to speak to these three men. And what did he say? This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now we have seen these words before, have we not? Wasn't it back in Matthew chapter 3 at Jesus' baptism that this same exact expression was spoken by the Father? And both then and now, he, he, he is communicating three things. First, Jesus is his son. He is divine in his nature. He is God who has taken upon human flesh. Second, Jesus is loved. He enjoys that intimate fellowship with his father. And finally, the Father says that he is well pleased with Jesus. Christ has a perfect righteousness. He is without sin. What, what the Father was doing here was he was correcting Peter by demonstrating the uniqueness of Jesus. Neither Moses nor Elijah are divine. And they don't have that matchless fellowship that exists in the triune God. And only Christ has a perfect righteousness. Listen, you don't need to build three shelters, for God himself has, has tabernacled among you in the person of Jesus Christ. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
The Father is making it very, very clear that Jesus is the one they should obey. Not Moses, not Elijah, but Jesus. For it is in Christ that the law and the prophets are fulfilled. This is what we read back in Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. It is Jesus whom both Moses and Elijah point to. This son of God who is loved by his father and has this perfect righteousness. Listen to him. And what was the message that Christ had been teaching them? That he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And also that they too must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. That is the plan of salvation and how Christ's kingdom must grow. How about you? Do you realize who this Jesus is? That he is God's son, the divine man? who is loved by his Father and perfect in every way? Do you believe this? And if so, will you listen to him? Will you put away the, the things of men and set your mind on the things of God? Will you follow the call of your Lord, trusting in him and in his plan of salvation, that he, that he died for your sins and that he rose from the dead three days later, bringing you victory in the life that is to come. And that he is now asking you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Will you obey the call of your Savior? Will you listen to him? This is exactly what the Father was commanding of Peter and of James, and of John. You have now seen his divine glory, now trust in his plan to bring about his kingdom. How would these men respond? Look at verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Now this, this is the right response when one comes into the presence of God Almighty, one, one should have a holy fear, a fear that brings them low. Many today are, are fearful of all kinds of things. They're, they're afraid of a virus. They, they fear their government. They worry about financial hardship. They're afraid of rejection from friends and, and family. And yet at the same time, there seems to be a lack of fear when it comes to God Almighty. Instead, people, they, they tend to view him as if he only had one trait, love. And yes, God is loving, but he is also a holy God, a God who dispenses justice. And if you had been on that mountain with Peter, James, and John, then you too would have fell hiding your face to the ground, trembling with fear. 
for the weight of your sins would have been too much to bear. But, but, if Christ is by your side, he can drive those fears away and allow you to stand. Look at our last set of verses, verses 7 and 8. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Dear friends, when you are hopeless and afraid, knowing that because of your sins you, you cannot stand, Jesus comes to you. And it is in his touch that he can calm even your most frightened of hearts. And it is in his voice that he soothes your terrified soul. For it is through him that the wrath of God is appeased. Downing the veil of his humanity, Christ had once again hidden his glory and condescended to their level. He, he took the terror away and put courage in their hearts. And this is why he is that perfect mediator between God and man. For he is the advocate who can lift us up. He is the better Moses. For in him, the law is fulfilled. And he is the better Elijah, for every word he speaks is prophetic. And he has come to you in your hour of need. He has placed his healing hand upon your shoulder. And he has spoken to you his, his comforting words saying, get up, don't be afraid. Listen to those words. Listen to him. For he is your hope. He is your victory. Let us pray. Father, we are truly in awe of your son. His glory is beyond us. When our world seems to be so dark, his prophetic voice speaks hope. He is our advocate and the reason we can even approach your throne. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit that we might trust in your son and listen to him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.